Do you crave meaningful conversations with people of different backgrounds and perspectives? Do you admire certain people from afar but wish you can get to know them on a deeper level? Thankfully, we live in an incredible age where long-form conversation allows us to connect with those who inspire us beyond the often manufactured sound bites, small talk, and social media posts we are bombarded with on a daily basis. This is a podcast that seeks to provide you, our listeners, with refreshing content from a variety of inspiring guests, a place where we can truly hear their stories. I'm Karen Corrin, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. Hey everyone, I am so excited to be doing this show, finally, after like a gazillion years. I took a very big break because I, my mind, body, and soul just needed a a break from everything. I just... COVID-19 hitting planet Earth definitely affected me in, you know, good and bad ways. And I'm just coping with it in my own way. But I'm really, really excited to actually be doing these podcasts again because it's giving me life outside of this quarantine virus bubble that we're all living in. Um, So this episode, I'm really, really excited for you to listen to. Ever since I heard her speech on Mic Drop, I knew there was something remarkable about Stephanie Pollock. In this episode, Stephanie and I go much deeper and we peel off all those layers. She talks to me about everything, including how her codependent relationship with her late husband and his addiction impacted her. Throughout her journey, I couldn't help but notice the enormous sense of gratitude this woman has I've never seen anything like this. I, like, she's astonishing. Her strength in making difficult decisions will inspire you to choose gratitude, to choose responsibility, and to choose life. This show could not have come at a better time when we can all use a little inspiration. Anyway, enjoy the show. I would love to welcome and introduce Stephanie Pollack. Hey, Stephanie, welcome to Soul Sessions. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. It's an honor, actually. I'm the feeling is mutual. I know that. (laughs) Yeah, so Stephanie and I have been wanting to do this interview for so, so long, but life happened and things got in the way, but finally we're sitting here and we're finally able to hear your story. You're going to share you know what that means it means that like there are things that have happened from when we originally wanted to do this to this moment that i had to experience in order to do this with you today versus i don't know how long ago i know it was like two months ago even longer i really I i wanted you to be on my show because i just think your story and your journey has so much depth and value and you have so much to teach other people about not only what you went through in your life, but today as a woman, as a Jewish woman, what you can contribute to the, to the life of other people. So I'm just going to stop talking and I want you to tell the listeners and the audience a little bit about yourself, who's Stephanie Pollack and a little bit about your journey. Um, okie dokie. So my name is Stephanie Pollack. Um, I 
I have, I've been the same person in terms of my core. The person who I am today has always been there, but it just needed time to like brew into who I am today and who I'm going to be tomorrow. And what I mean by that is that um, I am a mom and, you know, from the mic drop, you know, I, you know, and many know I am a widow. Uh, my husband passed away a little over five years ago and it, I'm also not a victim. I'm also um, a person who has a message that just wants to give it over. I'm a person who looks for the gratitude and expresses the gratitude and knows that that is going to be one of my survival tools in order to continue day after day and that I see the purpose and the, the gifts that have come my way because of it all. Um, what, who, um, wow. Yeah. Um, I love what you said about not being a victim. Yeah. Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? So I mean, you you read that uh, that I I um I gave this speech over at Mati Shloshim, and it's because I heard it um a couple of days prior, and by the way, Mati Shloshim was the first time I ever got up and spoke. I was in production, I was things like that, but like I never actually like spoke from my heart. I didn't write, I didn't do any of that yet in my life. It was really after Mati died that I even like tapped into that area of my life. That's um, great. I got up and I spoke at Mati Shloshim and it was based off of information that I heard from Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson who spoke during the nine days and he was giving the example of Yosef Atzadik and how when his brothers finally realized who he was, um, they were, what, what they felt was just a whole lot of depression. They felt all these negative feelings. They were embarrassed. They couldn't believe what they did to their brother um, and they thought that they were going to take revenge. Uh, that Yosef was going to take revenge. And basically in the Torah, Yosef Hasadik says, I wasn't sent, I was sold. Hashem sent me here. Like, you didn't, Loma you didn't sell me. Like, our life, we're not sold into life. We are sent into our life. And it's really just a, a choice. It's a mindset. And my entire being is all about choices. Mm -hmm. It's a mindset of, of deciding how, um, how we're going to make our decisions and how we want to view the things that we experience in our life. So I, that's basically, you know, what it is. So I got up at a Shloshim and it's 30 days fresh after burying Mati. And I made a decision at that moment that I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to be a Nebuch me. I'm not going to be a poor me. Um, it's not in my, it's not in my essence to do that either. There's a reason why I was sent here. And even in the speech, I continued to say that what were two young schnooks moving from Brooklyn to South Florida, knowing nobody here. Um, and then the things that had evolved, you know, getting involved in the recovery community and, you know, Mutsi, who wasn't a big learner, uh, he was a great learner. He was a smart man, you know, but like all of a sudden, a couple of months before he passed away, decided that he was going to start a learning program with the rabbi down here. And for, for working men, for the simple man, people who don't know how to learn, never learned a day in their life, like, and decided to do that. Like, we were sent into whatever it is that we were supposed to be in, like, and, and that's how I decided to make it clear that that is who I am. I am 
sent into my situations. Each day we are sent and we walk into a room and I heard this in a podcast. I can't remember which one person said, God bless you. Sorry. Um, the, um, the person said, uh, I think it was one of Rachel Hollis's podcasts. I can't remember who it was with, but the, her guest was, was saying that when every time he walks into a room, he basically says like, he meditates, he says a little prayer. Let me fulfill the purpose of me walking through these doors. Like let, I'm a messenger. That's all I am. I am sent. That's you're sent from God. I'm sent from God. My son is sent from God and that's it. We're all messengers for someone else in our lives. Wow, Stephanie, I'm, I'm getting chills because most people don't have this perspective. Um, most people live on this sort of like what can you do robotic system. Yeah, like you wake up, you just do what you got to do. You go back to sleep. I don't feel this deep spiritual sense where like you feel like God is with you at all times is pretty, I don't feel like it's common even amongst religious people, right. you know, like you have people who are religious, but maybe they're not so spiritual. And I just, Oh, they're two different things. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so well, how did you yeah. like get to this place after, you know, the pit that you were in? And for those people who don't understand, who do, haven't heard your mic, mic drop speech, um, if you could just very, very briefly, I mean, it's a very long story, but um, your mic drop speech, you spoke about your husband, your late husband's um, addiction. Um, you also spoke about how you were in a codependent relationship. Right. So can you just explain like where you were and then how you got to this place? Okay. Um. Okay, so I guess I'll start backwards. I'll start with the mic drop. Yeah. Because um, I can't really answer the, 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 the first part without, you know, talking right. about my experience and everything. Um, okay, so the mic drop was basically, it was, number one, it was one of the most therapeutic um, experiences that also provided closure because there were stories that I shared. And when I did it, when I, I Bracha Herzl um, was my, was my coach, these were stories that either just Miramati ever knew or like maybe my therapist. And like there were like even like my therapist didn't even know some of the, you know, the stories that I had shared because I didn't find it that I needed to bring it up until I was ready to bring it up. So that's just number one. And if anyone can go through the mic drop process, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, but basically um, the the theme of that night that Rashla wanted to do was about codependency and addiction in both sides of the coin. And um, I basically, um, I married my husband. We started dating at 15 years old. Um, there were red flags then, but I, you know, like you're really dumb. <laughs> and, you know, and, and there were times where like we had broken up, but like still, I went back to, to familiarity every single time. And I loved Mati, so I, I did. And there were there was the last time that we had broken up and it was like a serious breakup. And I didn't understand that. All I knew was that I was getting so anxious, you know, and, and my life was so consumed by what he was doing and where he was going. And if I can get in touch with him and like constantly looking at my phone, I was like, did he see, did he answer? Did he call? Like, did he get to his location? Like, that's part of the codependency. Like, you know, like I needed to be on top of him. I needed to mother him all the time. And codependency has a very broad... Um, spectrum. So 
I'm not the, I'm not the master of codependency and and educating it. You know, Malky, Monica Worthberger, Empowering Coaching, she like dedicates her entire platform to talk about codependency. So I highly recommend the listeners to, um, to follow her. But for me, um, you know, there was a point where, you know, before that, when we were dating, where I, I was just, something just wasn't right. And just like, he wasn't present. And I didn't know that he was using drugs then. Um, I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that he shifted in his like selfishness. It was because it was the disease because honestly, unless he had a heart of gold and, um, and I remember breaking up with him really embarrassing. It was Dunkin' Donuts on like King's highway. (laughs) And I remember telling him, I I told him, I said, I will always love you. I just can't be with you. Like you're always going to have a place in my heart, but there's something that's happening here. That's making me very sick. And I did not understand like what it was and what it was coming from. I just knew that like my gut was just always heavy, very uncomfortable. Um, fast, fast forward like a year and a half later, we got back together and it was because it was familiar to me. And I also loved his family a lot and mm-hmm. they loved me. And um, Sorry, can I interrupt you for one second? Of course. Um, before, before the drug addiction, what was it that was um, toxic? about the relationship? Well, there was addiction then also. It was just gambling. I just didn't really understand the extent of it. I didn't didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That like started, yeah. But I didn't understand it then either because I I mean- You were young and- I'm young and also like my exposure to gambling and to alcohol or whatever was, is my father who is very, like he's not an addict. Like, you know, he goes into a casino, one pocket has, you know, a hundred bucks. And as soon as that pocket is empty and the other one's full, he'll leave. Like if once it's in the other, he's like, there's that control. He can take a shot and move on with his life. So I didn't, I never was exposed to, 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 to the dangers of the, 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 the disease really. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, you know, we got back together. We got married shortly after. Um, and um, I got pregnant really quickly um it wasn't planned you know planned god god, right. god is definitely def- you know what is charlene uh got, got you know we pl- got god uh we stress. we plan but god plans better or something like that what is no, like? hashem doesn't want you to stress he yeah he wants, wants you to stretch that one also <laughs> that one's one of yeah. my favorites yeah but and it's true yeah. but um but man plan man plan god plans better that's what she says that's what yeah you know, and I got pregnant. I did not know I was pregnant. And when we found out that I was pregnant and it was seven months into marriage, um, Metsy went on relapse mode and all of a sudden, yeah. And all of a sudden there was just more isolation, more loneliness. Um, there was, you know, there was just so many things. It was very sad. It was a very sad time for me. Um, so many mixed emotions. It was a a roller coaster. It was a roller coaster for both of us. But he, at the same time, he always wanted to like detox himself. Again, I didn't know what was going on, and dealing with someone detoxing in front of you constantly, and like the de- like waking up every morning so depressed. And I'm like literally ch- his cheerleader, like cheering him on. And I'm like, you got this. You're the smartest. People rely on you. You're so capable. Why do you doubt yourself? Like, and I'm exerting so much, and it, it was just it was so hard to to constantly do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also part of the codependency 
and I was, you know, catering to her home and, you know, doing all these things. And like, I would make dinner every night, but like, he wouldn't show up, hmm. you know? And again, it wasn't him. It was the disease. So there was just a lot of that. And it was, it was very painful, but I didn't know I was taking it so personally, you know, like, why is he trying to hurt me? Why is he trying to hurt us? Why isn't he investing in the marriage? And for him also, it was, if I buy her a piece of jewelry, if I, if I can mask it in some other way, take her on vacation, then, you know, then she'll, she won't bother me. Mm-hmm. And then I can use in peace, you know, like there's like th- those types of thoughts. So that was a lot of, a, a lot of it. Okay, uh, let me ask you something. I mean, I just, I sense that um, many young girls, maybe they get it from their mothers or society around them that to love someone. I think we also see it in the movies that in order to show your love to someone, you have to like be there for them and give it your all, you know? Did you like, see what Yappa Palti posted yesterday? No. She po- basically, she like she, the one line that caught my eye, she's like, I, I thought I was, yeah, she's like, I, 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 you know, I had to be the perfect martyr. Uh, I mean, Aisha's Kyle, you know, in the beginning of the Shana Rishona, like just that mm-hmm. line was, was, mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. W- w- like hit home for me. Wow. So, I mean, like how, how does a young girl who gets married and her entire life, like let's, let's talk about a young Jewish Orthodox girl. Okay. Mm -hmm. That her entire life she's trained for, you know, trained to get married and be a good Jewish wife. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she gets these things in her head that like you have to sacrifice and you have to be an anxious tile and all of that. And that exists. Like it is necessary to do that in a relationship. There's give and take in a relationship for sure. So how does one distinguish between, am I loving this person or am I being codependent? Like where where does one draw the line? Or like how much do you have to do for the person and how much of it is borderline. I don't know if I know. could answer that. I feel like that's like more of like a medical professional, like, right. you know, like, I'm sorry. I don't know if I could answer that. I mean, but how I, did can, you I can only share for me. Yeah. How did I know? Um, I didn't, I didn't know. I kept giving and giving and giving until, um, it was that point where I was eight months pregnant. By the way, it's a miracle that I'm alive today because like there were times where he was driving and doing things and the drugs were wearing off and he was doing like, it's, it's, Hashem's really like unbelievable. Um, but I, there was the point where I was about eight months pregnant and, um, Matty realized he knew himself that it was getting out of hand and, um, and it was painkillers and it was painkillers because he had had surgery a couple of years prior and got hooked on the painkillers then. That's how, that's how it started. Um, and we were broken up during that time also where he had the surgery, um, and started on the painkillers. So I didn't see him during that time period when he had started his low, it was like without me in his life at the point. But, you know, back to, to, that, to that present moment, mm-hmm. he basically, you know, sat me down. He said, he, Steph, I have a problem. I need to go to, you know, I need to go to a hospital for 10 days to detox. I'll be back after 10 days. And he went to the other room, called like insurance, the insurance company to see which rehab you can go to. Uh, to, which detox we can go to. And as he's talking and he's saying words like opiates and things like that, I'm finally like Googling what he's saying. And I'm like, okay, something seems weird here, but it's his problem. Like that I was like, okay, you go do what you need to do. I'll be here when you get home. And when it, 10 days were up, they called me from the, from the hospital, from the detox. And, um, and they said, you know, um, you know, um, you know, your husband's about to leave. We really highly recommend that he goes into a 30 day, you know, rehab treatment. 
center. And in my mind, I'm like, I have Thanksgiving coming up and I'm hosting my entire family. Like, he needs to be here. Like, I'm about to have a baby in two months. Like, he needs to be here. Like, and that's where I was so focused on of like what the other people are going to think of. That's where my mind was. I was like, I can, I'm like, I went to my best friend's wedding and I lied and I said that he was in Europe for business. That was the first time I lied because of addiction. And, and, the, and then automatically it just tumbles salt into something more. It's a domino effect. Once you start lying in, in the secrets and you're just as sick as your secrets are. And that's what it was for me. I started that. My family didn't know until David was a year and a half that, that mm -hmm. Mati had, that Mati went to rehab and to detox and I was living alone most of the time. I didn't tell them because I was so ashamed. I was so scared. I didn't know how they were going to react. I didn't think they could be supportive. No one knew. No one in my neighborhood knew. We were so isolated. We didn't go to school. We didn't do anything. Like we, we, I, it was just like we slept. Yeah. Oh my God. Wait, were you, you were broken up when you were pregnant with your son? We, no, he went to, no, when I was pregnant, no, I was no, very I alone. Pregnant. I was very yeah. alone. He was there at times, right. but I was very alone, you know? Um, and I don't want to paint Mati to be a bad person. It was the right. disease. That's really the truth. It's the disease that changes the person. Deep mm -hmm. down, they are, they are beautiful, unless they're a narcissist. Um, right. happened to, Mati wasn't like he was an extremely loving and giving and smart and caring and compassionate person. And he really taught me so much of what I know today. Like he encouraged me to use my brain. He encouraged me to like find my voice and use my opinion and express my opinion. I didn't grow up that way. Mm -hmm. I learned that with my experience with Mati and then even more so afterwards, but it's because of him. That's why he's number one on my gratitude list always. Like even through the pain, I could see that and see the blessings in it all. So he went to detox and that was as far he wasn't, he wasn't interested in doing more. And fast forward a couple of weeks, you know, he was going to meetings, you know, outpatient. He wasn't really going, but I wasn't on top of him for that. And like I share this story in, in my mic drop where I was nine months pregnant and he woke up like one day, he's like, let's go to Key West. And also it was very common, you know, for us, like we went to Alaska that summer, we went to Chicago that summer, we went here, we went there, we traveled to New York all the time. It was always because he needed to escape thinking that if he changed his location, things would get better and he can detox. So he tried detoxing in Alaska, tried detoxing in Vancouver, detoxing in, in, in Chicago. And I didn't know any of this. You didn't I didn't know, know why, but like, it was like, let's pick up and go. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, this is so not my nature. Like, I'm not a spontaneous person at all. Mm -hmm. um, and um, he woke up one morning, Thursday morning. He's like, let's go to Key West for Shabbat. Let's drive. Let's see the sunset. Let's I'm like, perfect. I don't see you. Like, I want to spend time with you. Like, this is, you're stuck in the car with me. You know, like, this is great. And he didn't get home until about nine o'clock that night. And it was too late to go to Key West at that point. And it was in the beginning of December. And Shabbos is early here and everywhere. So early in New York, it's so crazy. I don't know how you guys do it. Um, <laughs> Remind me, please. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. It's Wednesday. Don't worry. Um, and um, we never made it to Key West, but he was like, okay, let's just go to a local hotel on the beach in Hollywood Beach. Um, the part that I didn't share on the mic drop was I didn't know that his drug dealer was in the building next door. That he told me afterwards. But, um, and I joke about it now just because the insanity, and I talk about it, um, you know, that carousel of insanity. But we get to the hotel that night. The next morning, he tells me he's going to a meeting. He'll be back at like noon. 
And I started, when he came out of detox, he so badly wanted to stop using and wanted to be a normal person that he's like, okay, Steph, if you notice me dozing off, if you notice me slurring my words, if you notice me scratching a lot because of the opiates, like if you notice any of these things, you'll know, you're, you'll know I'm using, like you'll know. And he told me this because he wanted me to know. I don't know if he wanted me to know so that I can like, I, I, I don't really, part of it is because I knew he wanted to stop and he wanted to be called out of, but also like he wanted to test his limits, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he, he wasn't doing any of that yet, but um, I also became very um, obsessive with constantly looking at our bank account. And um, why? And I, and also like, I wasn't in charge of any of the finances. Like I did not know what was flying, but you know, he had told me, you know, he, there, like when he was using, he tried pinning on me that the reason why like, like money, like, you know, money was, you know, always going was because I shop all the time. And I was shopping all the time because I was trying to fill a void that I wasn't getting from him. But I mean, the amounts that were being depleted were, were not anything. I mean, there's only so much I can buy at home goods and bed, bath and beyond. Those are the only two stores I was going to do. And, um, and I mean, I spent a lot of money on a garbage can and it was all emotional and I admitted to it afterwards. I did. Um, it was one of those pretty ones, the, the fingerprints and they open yeah. like a butterfly. Like it's really ridiculous for a garbage can, but, um, I still have it. And it's like a sign of like, I, I use, I, I have it and I kept it just so that I know like these are bad purchases. These are not healthy. Um, but, um, I woke up that morning. He said he was going to a meeting and I don't know what possessed me to look at our bank account. And I see hundreds and hundreds of dollars that were withdrawn from our bank account during the time he claimed he was going to be at a meeting. And why were you looking at the, why were you looking at the bank accounts to begin with? Were you suspecting something? I was suspecting something. Mm -hmm. I was suspecting the fact that he didn't show up until too late the night before. And we missed the opportunity already. Like I was, I was, I was looking for things. I was right. so unhealthy that I was looking for things to like point at him. I was getting so angry. I was so hurt and the hurt was, and the pain was only starting. Like it was just starting to brew. And, and you were pregnant at this time. Still? I was nine months pregnant. I was nine months pregnant. Um, Gosh. very cute looking pregnant. Um, oh but, um, we, I looked at the bank account and I saw that like hundreds of dollars were withdrawn and I'm like, of course I know, I knew, I knew he was going to do this. He knew he was going to screw up. You know, there's no chance, whatever. And the whole day I was giving him a silent treatment. I was, or I was being so cold and I was being so snappy and I was being so mean to him the entire day waiting for like the perfect opportunity to like, aha, I pointed you out. Like, you know, I got you, I cornered you. Shabbos came like we literally made Shabbos by a hair because like I was I also was so ignorant and I was so naive for sure and also in a lot of denial um but I was so ignorant to like you know because I grew up like he grew up more orthodox than me I trusted and believed anything he said also <laughs> So when it came to like Hilfos, Kashrus, and Shabbos and things like that, I grew up in a way different home than he did. I had a Jewish education. I went to yeshiva. I went to a great yeshiva, but like, I didn't care to sit and listen and learn because I don't want to get tested on it. But, and I just relied on him to just like, even like Hilfos Mida, like whatever he said, like he is like, oh. authority. Yeah, because like he can learn Gemara and he can do this. So like, you're smarter than me. You're better than me. That's how like I interpreted that. So, you know, I took, I let him take the lead in all those things because what do I know? I didn't, I wasn't raised right. this way. Um, and, um, 
And that probably gave you a feeling of safety For sure. and reassurance. It was part of the, also that codependency of like, I'm coming from my father's home, which was a controlling home. And, you know, I didn't like, you know, whatever I was told to do, I did. And, you know, so I didn't have to think, I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to like try anything because I was already told. And then I was going into another, you know, you know, male home where he was that, like that, 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 that power. And I was okay with that. that again, that was the familiarity. Yeah. Um, and, and I was always looking for that. Um, and basically, um, that whole day I was being like all really obnoxious and really mean. And like I said, in the mic drop, I lit the Shabbos candles. He went down to the bathroom, uh, you know, in the lobby. Didn't like, I don't know why I thought that wasn't normal also. And he didn't show up like, you know, it was like 45 minutes past and I'm waiting there and waiting. And again, like it's, it's brewing. It's just brewing up inside. And I go downstairs and I'm looking for him and I'm like calling into the bathroom, you know, Matsy, are you there? Matsy, are you there? And then I'm looking all around the lobby and then I go outside and I see that he is with a group of strangers at the pool being called Shabbos because that's what could happen with the drugs. And that's what could happen with the, you don't, you're, you're not yourself anymore. Um, and, and, and I here was this figure of, you know, halachic authority. He gave he was like, yeah, religion. He was like halachic authority, but at the same time, it's, it's like, who are you? Where's the person I married? You're not the person I met. You're not the person I knew at 15 years old. Like, this is not like, and especially coming from like a, a, a less observant home, I so badly was like, was like thirsty for mm-hmm. that, 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 that love of Yiddishkeit, that appreciation for Shabbos. Like I had to always seek that elsewhere. And finally, like, you know, you have this image in your mind that you're going to get married and you're going to have your hopes and your dreams. Mm-hmm. And it started off that way, but all of a sudden it's like, how could I Dreams see this? come crashing down. It was so vision. painful. It was so, it was so real. It was so painful. And I was, I was broken and he saw my face and I ran fast as I could at nine months pregnant. I ran up to the room and he chased me, you know, behind, you know, like wanting to talk to me. And when we got behind closed doors, I just gave it to him and I just lost it. And I called him every mean word you can think like on the mic drop, you know, I say you're a loser. You would, I, if those were the nice words. I don't even think I said those. Those were too nice. I just gave it and he just, and Matsi was a big man, you know, he was a big, big sized person and he just dropped to the floor like a baby. And then all of a sudden he just was like crying and he's like, I'm sorry. I don't know how I did it. I don't, and I'm still pointing fingers at him because all of a sudden I'm on a pedestal. I'm better than you because you're pathetic. You cannot do anything. You're not capable. You're like, I was saying all of these things and he's crying there on the floor and and then I see him in pain and I just like, I'm like, whoa, I can't do this. This isn't fair. So now all of a sudden I'm catering and I'm like, I'm not saying I, I needed to be mean, but at the same time, whatever I felt didn't matter anymore. And I needed to just like fix the fact that he was hurting. Mm-hmm. I was constantly fixing. I constantly needed to wear a cape and I constantly needed to be the hero in someone else's story. And mm-hmm. it was, it was this like need to make him better and to make sure he's comforted. And, and again, I was heartbroken. I was devastated. I was so angry and I'm there trying to comfort him. And I said, I'm like, you know, he's like, I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to do it again. I'm sorry, Stephanie. I don't know how it happened. I'm so sorry. And I believe you. I believe you, Matsy. And, and then the next day it happened again. 
And this is where I say on the mic drop, this is when I first went on that carousel of insanity. Insanity is doing the same thing, expecting different results. Mm-hmm. And I went on that ride for months. And even when I started recovery, even when I started going to Al-Anon. When did you start recovery? So, okay. So fast forward a couple of weeks after that, I give birth to David. Um, oh, let me backtrack actually. Um, after that Shabbos, um, I did not trust that Matsu was actually going to meetings anymore. And I said, I'm going to babysit you. Hmm. Another part of, yeah. You know, like, I don't trust you. I'm going to like, give me your wallet at the end of the day. Let me see your clothing. Let me see where you might be hiding drugs. Like any new phone numbers added to your phone. I was crazy. And you become so sick. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a family disease. Everyone gets affected by it. And I really, I was, I was becoming so neurotic and I was becoming so unhealthy. And my entire thought being feeling was just consumed about him and the disease and the drugs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and basically, um, and you doing this, you felt like you were in control. Oh, finally. for sure. For but sure. I was so not. <laughs> You were so not, but you were also so not only harming yourself, but I think you were also maybe exacerbating the problem by sure. babysitting him and For doing sure. all of these things. For sure. I, 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 I was so crazy to the point where I actually called the drug dealer and I said, can you please stop giving drugs to my husband? Like, <laughs> that's not normal. Also, that's very dangerous. <laughs> I don't recommend you do that. Yeah. Report, report the drug dealer. Um, right. um, and it's scary. They're like, I know where you live. I'm like, oh God. It was very scary. There were scary points in all of this. Stephanie, so like I see with the problems you had back then, how you were dealing with it. It was a it was a different way. Like you were you were the fixer, you wanted to be the hero, you wanted to be in control. I got this. And trying to you need me. Yeah, all of that. Yeah, like I'm the savior, all of that. So how did you transform from that to this the healthy ways of coping today and also um i know in the past you've spoken about your own addictions not like um the health issues that affected you from the relationship but like you yourself did you have any addictions um the way that you were coping with your problems right Right. and how are you dealing with your problems today right um I know it's a lot, but no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, should I start with um, my 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 unhealthy coping mechanisms? Should I start with yeah. that, with the, with the that addiction? Much. That yeah. Okay. So basically, well, I share um, that my my eating disorder started in high school. I mean, it started earlier than that, um, but that's just mm-hmm. it was. Uh, you know, I was always a, a compulsive eater and a compulsive overeater. Um, it's definitely it was definitely a result of my a lot of criticism that I got around me. Um, and I just met, I just coped with it with food. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I remember, uh, so, um, it started in high school, it started in my senior year in high school when you're getting ready for seminary and everyone's talking about how, um, and I was always overweight, always my entire life, even with my height. I'm grateful for my height as much as like my mom's like, you'll never find someone tall enough. Um, I didn't know you're, I didn't even notice you were tall. I'm I'm five, nine. And, um, and I'm very grateful because otherwise I, the, the proportions of my body would just not be the same. Um, but, um, 
when seminary talk was starting and everyone's like, oh, you gained so much weight in seminary. You know, you everyone comes home looking like a beach whale, like whatever. I started getting really scared and I started, um, that was when like the anorexia started. I started really restricting my calorie intake and I started exercising a lot. Um, ironic, ironically, I never lost weight. I ended up just toning my body and I never lost weight doing that because the weekends came or the night came and I just binged and binged. Um, and I had to do it when nobody was looking because then I got criticized. How did um, you, you were diagnosed with anorexia? Um, not yet. Not yet. Wow. Um, so fast forward, I went to seminary. I had developed so many fears of foods, uh -huh. every carb, uh, you know, and I, and I stayed away from all of it like the entire time. And like, I went walk. I, I, my seminary was in Harnope and I walked that mountain every single night. Um, and you know, it's right next to, I think angels bakery. So like, I felt like I was scared to even smell it honestly. Cause I thought that if I smelled it, I would gain weight. Um, so it was like, I didn't have a slice of pizza that entire year. Like everyone talks about big apple pizza. I don't even know what big apple pizza tastes like because I never had it. You know, like I was so afraid of food and then it just continued to develop, um, you know, more and more. So I relied on like raw vegetables and fruits. Um, when I came back from seminary, um, my goal was not to gain weight in seminary. And I was so focused on that number. Um, I did not gain any weight in seminary. I may actually maintained and, you know, and I was like, okay, fine. I didn't lose weight. So I failed in a way, you know, that was mm -hmm. how sick my brain is. Mm -hmm. And I basically um, needed to take it up a notch at that point because I wasn't satisfied, you know, with, with right. the fact that I maintained. And I was restricting like all day long. And I... I, I remember it was actually, um, I don't know why my mom, we never like ate lamb chops at home. I don't know, like, and, all, and my mom doesn't cook. And one night my mom decided they got it on sale at some like, you know, supermarket, you know, in the, in the yeah. community. And she made lamb chops and I couldn't even stand the smell, but I was so anxious that day. I don't even know why. And I must've eaten about six lamb chops and I felt so sick that I went upstairs and I turned on the bathtub and I turned on the faucet and I was constantly flushing the toilet and I made myself throw up for the first time. And oh I got out of the bathroom and I went to my parents' scale and I wanted to see if any weight came down. Like that was, and that was the first time I ever binged and purged. And, and then I just became like, I, I, I would do it during the week, like, you know, once or twice a week. And then on the weekends I would binge um, you know, Saturday nights I would binge Sunday morning would come, I would purge. And then I would go to the gym and purge. Like I, my purging was also an exercising. Oh my um, God. so right. luckily I was, um, you know, for like the hot five seconds I was in college. Um, <laughs> one class, this is before I got married. Um, one class that I took was a psychology of eating disorders class. Thank God. And Thank God. it was an amazing professor. And at the end of the semester, as we were learning more and more, I was like, I was identifying a lot with, you know, the, you know, what we were learning and like the, and the right. names and whatever, and the behaviors. And I went over to her and I explained to her what was going on. I felt very safe around her. And she referred me to LIJ, to the outpatient over there. And um, that was, oh, and just to backtrack, um, at that point, I started dating Mati again. We weren't engaged yet, but we started dating. 
Um, and so, bless so you. In, in a sense, like you were trying to get better in one area, like, and then it, it was it, the whole thing was just crazy. It was just like, you know, you know, what was weird though is that I was, I was, you know, we just started dating again. His mother actually noticed a lot of my behaviors, mentioned it to him. And, you know, and then when I told him about, you know, speaking to the professor and going to LIJ, he literally held my hand and took me. And every appointment that I had, he took me to those appointments, which is funny because like fast forward and I'm trying to like save him, you know, like, and like, he was, it was, it was crazy to see that, that, like, you know, that fuller circle, that like yeah. that bigger circle. But I started going to LIJ and I remember I sat with the therapist and the nutritionist and they're like, okay, tell us about your family, you know, like your grandparents. I'm like, well, they're both, they're all Holocaust survivors. They're like, all right, like, you know, like unhealthy, you know, like the whole month that, that could happen from, you know, results of, you know, being a whole and, and intergenerational trauma. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, so, um, like I had one set of grandparents who would force feed, like, you know, pizza and ice cream and rugelof and this and that, like, and the occasional garden salad, um, you know, like down our throats. And then I had the complete opposite where like, you know, my grandmother had like a piece of moldy bread and like orange marmalade and like she would have like a crumb of it and she'd be like okay I'm good for the day mm -hmm. and yeah. then she would be like mama you look like you can skip breakfast I'm like but you're supposed to eat breakfast so like but you could eat yesterday's dinner still like like right. it's so scarcity mentality and then the yeah it was right. like the complete 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 extremes wow. and you know and it was and it was and it was mimicked in my home growing up also for sure. um you know, because it's, it's normal to end up repeating the same, you know, when you don't know better, you don't, you know, my Angela says the opposite, like when you know better, you do better. But if you don't know better, you just continue to do the same things. And you think like, you know, what your parents did were right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but really sometimes what your parents did, you need to learn from, you know, and, and break patterns, which is yeah. really what I focus so hard on, you know, doing for myself and for my son. Um, so I see that, you know, um, I see you today you know, on your Instagram and the talks that you're doing across the country that... I don't even know where Portland, Oregon is, by the way. <laughs> I, apparently it is across the country, but I had to like look it up. <laughs> but you know, you're becoming um, a renowned speaker where you are speaking about your journey from being dependent on other people, whereas today you can stand on your own two feet and I'm Maybe. dependent on Hashem, honestly. Like that's that's it. And on and, and 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 I'm not dependent on the people and I actually just uh what was I think I just oh I just shared this this morning on Instagram that like the people that are meant to be in your life doesn't mean that they're supposed to last forever. They're supposed to be there for you so that you can learn from them. And like mm -hmm. like I said, they're people that are coming in and out of my life and every relationship I've been in, never mind just like, you know, a boyfriend or a potential marriage or anything like that, or my actual marriage, these are all things that are people that I need in order to, to continue to that growth of self-actualization. Mm -hmm. That's it, you know, and that's, I'm not dependent on them, but I am, I'm responsible to see what they can give me, not in a selfish way, but yes, in a selfish way. What can I get out of these talks, these, these, right. You know, there's a lot of talk now on Instagram about if you're, if you're, if your feed isn't serving you, or if you're getting jealous, or if you're angry, then stop following. I don't have that issue because I really, yes, I have people that I follow that wear nice things. I appreciate good things. I don't, not crying that I don't have them, but right. you know, or someone's, you know, family vacation. I'm happy. It doesn't affect you. 
it doesn't, it, that's not where I'm at. That's not, you know, but at the same time, my feed is filled with a lot of positive, a lot of growth. I remember Yom Kippur last year, I was having a conversation with somebody and they were like, I think I'm going to get off of Instagram. Like, it's really like, I just, I'm constantly looking at all the sales or all the thing, you know, kids clothing or whatever. I'm like, they're like, what do you look at? I'm like, none of that. And there's nothing wrong with what you do. And if that's what a person likes to do, present or hate, like go ahead and enjoy it. But my, my phone, my feed doesn't do that for me. That's not what I want. That's not how I want to consume my time. So, you know, yeah, you're, you're taking charge of your life. I have choices. You have choices. And I'm like, I said, someone shared on a podcast I listened to yesterday. It's, um, you know, it was we're talking about addiction and also I guess talking about um, codependency within the addiction. Um, you know, but it's like, I'm not responsible, but I have responsibilities. Mm. And I really like that. I really like that. It was, um, it was Chaim Kohn. This podcast called extra sauce. It's really funny. Title. Wow. You, you have a lot of resources. Yeah. In show. I'm like I, writing them all down. I listen awesome. to, I, I listen to a lot of it and it's, it's, you know, it's not like I'm like shoving self-help books down my brain. Right. But like, you know, I take what I like and I'm, I, I process what it is that I'm listening to. And he shared and, you know, on this topic of codependency and I really appreciated it. It's like, I'm not responsible. I cannot control. I cannot cure. And I cannot change the addict that you learn that like the first step in Al-Anon, which by the way, we didn't even get there. How I even started. I know. We have okay. to go full circle on a lot of these things. Oh my gosh. I know. Um, and we're even limited on time. But, oh my gosh. Uh, but you know, those three, th- those three C's you learn really early on in Al-Anon. You can't control, you can't cure, and you cannot change the addict. So I'm not responsible, but I have responsibilities, which means that I could also enable the addict from continuing their behaviors. Mm-hmm. I could hide for them. I could cover up for them. I could, I could, you know, I, I could do so many different things. I could be, I can, like I did that night in the hotel room. I can make Mati feel so worthless, but guess what? He already felt that way. What was I doing? What was I contributing to the situation? Nothing. Mm-hmm. I thought I was better than him at that point. Right. So, you know, I really liked, I really appreciated that, 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 that quote that Chaim said on that podcast. I like that. Because, but it's the same thing in, in, in every, you know, we can say that in terms of parenting also. I right. have my responsibilities as a parent. I'm responsible to raise a mensch. I'm responsible to, to, to raise um, a contributing asset to society. But what he chooses to do, I, I have to be mechanic my child, but I can't be responsible for everything. You know, like every mother says, you know, like once he's out of my home, he's your responsibility, you know, like. Right, right. You know, so yeah, okay. Wow, Should we go okay. backwards on how I started in Al-Anon? So yeah, if you could just briefly talk about Al-Anon because I do have like one or two more questions that I do want okay. to talk about. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's like, I can There's go a on lot. There's a like, lot. I know. This is just funny because with every, person, with, with every person that I've done this with, it's really, it's like, it's like Steph, like, like we can do this for hours. Like we need to do this again, you know? And, and I love it because I love connecting because I get from you, you get from me and, and the thing is, is that there is someone that needs to hear this. And that's, I think yeah. this whole platform is unbelievable. Um, amazing. And as yeah. you said, like my feed, it serves me. Like right. people I follow on social media, I don't, I don't get triggered and upset because I follow people that uplift me and right. you think. And also I, I follow very funny things too, because I appreciate yeah. the, the, the beauty of laughter. Like it's, exactly. it, you know, it's important. So I follow stupid things also. And I, I, yeah. and I appreciate those people who post those things, you know? Exactly. exactly. Um, 
And there's so, always that, like that group of friends you could always send it to, you know, like, you know, they appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The memes. Okay. Yeah, um, exactly. Okay. So Al-Anon. Yeah. Um, so for those people who maybe don't know that they're in a codependent relationship, but they might, might be having these thoughts that, well, maybe my behavior is enabling another type of behavior. Speak about what Al-Anon is and how it can help someone, you know, get out of that. Um, okay, so Al-Anon is a 12-step program. Hold on, I'm just getting something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Al-Anon is a 12-step program for loved ones of addicts. Um, it's out, like, you know, there's Alcoholics Anonymous, there's AA, there's NA, Narcotics Anonymous, um, okay. Gaminon, you know, for gamblers. Mm-hmm. So they have an Anon, um, they have an Anon program, you know, for the loved ones. So, um, and there's 12 step programs for loved ones in each one of these categories for sex addicts, for gamblers, for narcotics anonymous, for, you know, AA. Um, so I started going to Al-Anon and basically what my rock bottom was, it was six weeks postpartum. Um, Mati was abstinent and I explained on the mic drop that abstinence and recovery are not the same things. Abstinence just means that you're high and dry. It's like, look, like, you know, getting off of stopping to eat Oreos, but leaving it right over there mm. the of your eye and testing yourself and challenging yourself, having those roadblocks. And then recovery is when you're, and, and I also heard this, I think this is Kent Shelton. Um, he, he's great. He said that, um, rehab and recover is, is putting recovery back, uh, you know, sh- you know, back into weakness, like strengthening the weak. You know, it's like, you, you know, that there's a problem there and you, you know, you build, you work through it and there's the 12 steps and, you know, it's, and there, you know, there's program and there's community and all of that. So I started, so Mati relapsed, um, a couple of days after David's bris and, and it was just, it was, it was, it was really hard. It was really painful. Um, because now like I knew more and I saw more and like all the behaviors and all the patterns were like even more blinding in my face and I didn't know how to handle it. And my, my original coping mechanism was, again, my family didn't know anything. His family did, his parents did. I would just pick myself up and fly to New York when he wasn't welcome in his parents' home. <laughs> Literally, that's what it was. And, um, um, it was February, that was born December 31st. It was, you know, six weeks after. And my father-in-law had heard about a, um, a Jewish recovery center, JRC, it's in Boca. And they were having their first ever annual Shabbaton, recovery Shabbaton. And, you know, he saw it in one of the local newspapers and it was in Florida and he was like trying to convince us to go. And I was like, listen, if Mati's go, like, I'm not the one with the problem here. Mm-hmm. He's the issue. If he's interested in going, I'll be there and support him and I'll be his cheerleader. And he knows that I love him and he knows that whatever. Mati was like, okay, fine, I'll go. Um, he was high the entire Shabbos. But prior to that, I came back from New York that Thursday night. I knew he was using, even though he told me he had stopped. And I believed him every time, you know, like told me over the phone, he stopped. He told me like, you know, to my face. And like, I would believe it, you know, because I wanted to believe it. I was hopeful that things were changing. And the next morning came and he was using in the other room and I was trying to feed David and I say this on the mic drop and, um, I just was crying and then David started crying and I couldn't feed him. I couldn't breastfeed. I couldn't do a lot of things. It was really, it was really hard time. Um, and I just had, I hit my rock bottom of like, you don't deserve this. You didn't ask for this. Like, this isn't fair to you. Um, 
I need to do something about this because you deserve something better. Again, that codependency, you know, and like I say in the mic drop, I still didn't choose me. I chose my son. So it started from there. You know, mm -hmm. um, I went on the Shabbaton. I met some amazing people. Um, I met um, a few other women, a few other wives who I appreciate so much that they were like, Oh, you're so cute. How in denial you are. Okay. We're going to break it down to you for you. You know, like this is what's really going on. And they just did not beat around the bush. Wow. And I appreciated them so much, you know, like in 12 step recovery, it's just, you share your experience, strength and hope. And you know, you, you know, you don't tell people what to do. You give your, you share your experience and you suggest what works for you or what didn't work for you. And you take what you like and you leave the rest. So that's what you hear in the rooms, you know? And, um, and that's basically what it was. And they started saying things and explaining things to me and like, okay, wow, this is making a little bit more sense. Like slowly. And then like a week or so later is when I first went into like my first real Al-Anon meeting. And I had some bad experiences. My first Al-Anon, like one of my first Al-Anon meetings, it was, and I tell this to people also, like when they suggest give it a couple of times, like go to six different Al-Anon meetings before you decide whether this program is for you or not. There are so many that are full of hope and laughter and community and all these amazing things. And then there are the ones that it's just misery loves company. And there are the people who play the victim role and they're stuck in, in their pain. And it's hard, it's hard. So I, I've been to both, you know, ends of the spectrum and, um, you know, but also it's, it's, it's like, I, you know, it's a spiritual program. They talk about God of our understanding. They talk about a higher power. You don't need to be religious. You don't need to, it's not negative the Torah. You know, it's Rabbi Torsky, you know, gives permission. You can go into yeah. churches and my, some of my closest people in my life are non-Jews that I met through the program that get me more than, than, than my next door neighbor, you know? And it's because it's open-minded. It's not about, it's, it's something greater than, than we can even imagine. At least for me, that's how it's been. It literally saved my life. Um, and I learned so many tools from it and my, my spirituality, like I, I was so spiritually dry. I was on empty. Like mm -hmm. I was like, I was blaming why me, why would God do this to me? Why would God give a child, like bring a child into this world where, you know, like who knows this or that, you know, whatever. So now to fast forward and to go back to the eating disorder. So I was struggling with, um, you know, the binging and purging and all of that then. I got married and I got pregnant and at the end of my pregnancy, I went the complete opposite extreme of like, I just became this bottomless pit and I just coped with food and mm -hmm. I just ate and I ate and I ate and I was never full and I had gained so much weight. Um, and I was, I, I, I can barely find pictures of me, you know, during that. It's like any pictures. Yeah. I, I, I was like, it was, I, I, I couldn't look at myself. I didn't want to look at myself. I had a lot of, I always had a lot of shoes, but I had a lot of shoes because that was the only thing that always fit. And like, I tried every crazy extreme diet. Uh, you know, I did the ballies behind the ears and you know, oh. all you, oh God, it was so crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, I did, you know, wait, I did, I tried it all. I tried it all. And, um, and basically, um, it didn't help. No, 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 no. didn't I'm help. Sorry. I even gained more. You know, exactly. it did, it did, it didn't give me what I needed. And I was just, and at the end of the day, I was so focused on the food still mm -hmm. because I was so focused on what I can't eat or what I'm supposed to eat or when I'm supposed to rub the ballies behind my ear. I don't even know what I was thinking. Right. Um, 
you know, so, we, we have to experience these things. And uh, it yeah. was my, it was my birthday. It was a couple of weeks before Matthew died. It was my birthday and I just woke up and I just, usually my birthday is just not something I want to talk about or celebrate or acknowledge or anything like that. And I woke up and I felt like I needed to change that. And I made, I, I Googled Overeaters Anonymous um, meetings near me. And there was literally one starting 30 minutes from when I Googled. And it was about a 25 minute drive away from me. I jumped up, I got out of bed and I went, cause I, after carpool, I went back into bed because it's like birthdays are depressing for me. And right. I just, I didn't even tell Matsi. Matsi was sober at the time. He was sober at the time. And I didn't even tell him where I was going because I didn't want him to say anything bad about it. I didn't want right. to like, and, and I also wanted this, like, let me first try it out. And if it works for me, maybe he'll come on board, you know, like, I didn't want to push him or anything like that. And I went into the meeting and I just blurted out that I'm here because I'm just so unhappy and I'm, and I, and really I am the only one responsible for my happiness. I'm the only one who could give me and nurture me and do all those things. I can't get that from any other source. Wow. I can't get that from my spouse. I can't get that from any, from my child. I can't get that from anything else or anyone else. No clothing, no shoes, no food, no anything to give that to me, but I'm so reliant. And that was also part of my people pleasing. Like I needed to constantly give that so I could get that in order to value, like to find my value and my worth. Mm-hmm. But then I also found it in food. And then I found it even more in food when it was, when I wasn't getting it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so wow. I started, I started in OA a couple of weeks before Mikey died. Um, and the week that he relapsed, the week that he died, um, I had gone to um, one to two Al-Anon and OA meetings that, that, that week. Like, I just was like this, I, I, I don't want to be in my thoughts. I don't want to relapse. I don't want to, I don't know what to do. And I just, I figured my only solution for me was to be in program and to commit to it because it was the safest place for me. And I did that. And beautiful. And Mati died that Friday. Um, he relapsed on a Monday. He died on Friday. Um, and I, I share this, that the, the, my greatest, my, my greatest bracha was that I actually felt during Shiva and during, like, throughout the Shloshim and things like that. I wasn't numbing myself with something else. I wasn't trying to distract myself. I, you know, there's a lot of food during Shiva. It's insane. It's right. like, it's, it's really like out of control. Um, especially when you're saying Shiva in Brooklyn, when there's like endless amounts of bakeries and restaurants and people wanting to just comfort you with food, which is yeah. really unhealthy. Um, yeah. and you could have coped with food. What? Was, you could have coped with food. I could have, I could have relapsed. No problem. And there was a total, there was a, a great excuse. My husband just died. I totally exactly. could go and eat you know, the, the cakes and the whatever. Yeah. I deserve and, to do this. Right. And every day I called my sponsor and I, 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 it was really awesome that my Al-Anon group actually, they don't usually do this, but they called me in during, during Shiva so I could be part of the meeting also. And like, I, re- I excused myself from, from the room and I sat in on my Al-Anon meeting and I connected with, I wrote my, my, you know, I wrote my food plan. I did, I committed, I wasn't going to, there was, there was, there was catastrophe. There was pain. There was so much that was going on, but at the same time, I, I don't know how I had the clarity and the, and the I don't, it's, not, it's not just clarity and it's not courage and it's not strength. I don't know how I had like the, 
the Hashem's divine. I, 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 seriously, like the Hashem was really divine presence was there a lot, but like to know that this may be happening. This is the present. I'm sitting Shiva. I don't know what my future will be. But at the same time, I still need to be present. I still need to make sure I nurture the things that I need to nurture. But that also meant that there are times, and even today, you know, I'm nurturing all those things. I also know when I need to grieve. I also know when I need to pause. I also know all of those things. And there's finding that balance as opposed wow. to just like going off and falling off the wagon. You know, it's just like knowing that. But I maintain the present still during Shiva. Because the wow. reality is that if I didn't, I, you know, I, 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 I'm not saying I wouldn't have, you know, I would have grieved differently. I would have had a completely different experience. I would have had the experience that God wanted me to have, but God wanted me to have that experience at that time. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And then it just, you know, manifested, you know, throughout, throughout the years, you know, with my OA and, you know, recovery, it's, it's, you know, I've had slip ups, I've had relapses. Um, I'm yeah. not a failure. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that. You know, yeah. self, negative self-talk is one of the most toxic things we can do to ourselves. Um, I may have made bad choices, but I'm not, I, I'm not a bad person. It doesn't define you. It exactly. Your mistakes and your failures don't define you. We're always right. failing. You know, it's We're like, don't, don't look where you fell, look where you slipped. You know, that's really. I love that. Yo, you have some quotes today. It's I love because, it. And it's not even just every, it's, this is, I, I've trained, you know, people are like, how are you so, how are you such a positive attitude? How can you look at the good things? How come? How can you write your gratitude list every night? You know, how do you do that? I have to. I wasn't always like that. I have to. And I told someone this morning, you know, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes discipline. It takes commitment. Because I know that when I don't do it, I'm not in a good place. And if I'm not in a good place, who wants to be around me? I don't want to be around me. I want to escape from me. That's so true. So I work so hard. Yeah, I, I've worked so hard to, and I'm not doing it just to be around other people. I'm not doing it for other people. I do it because it, it's what, it's what, it's what, um, it feeds, feeds me. you. It feeds me. It exactly. feeds yourself. When I have that attitude of gratitude, it's for me and it's for my relationship with God. And it's to be able to see, hold this, you know, hashtag thank you Hashem is the original, you know, the original is hold Hashem right the good and the bad is all out of us and i choose to see it that way so beautiful <laughs> wow stephanie i'm like you just gave me so much to reflect on you know um because you know the word gratitude is or attitude of gratitude became such a buzzword that like Certain, some people, when they when they see that word or like they hear it, they just like roll their eyes like, okay, gratitude. Like how many times can we hear about gratitude? Right. Like they think uh, it's like, ooh, I have an attitude of gratitude, like a cheerleader. It's Yeah, but you are showing that gratitude is not something that is just like, oh, like I'm thankful for, or like just saying like, thank you, thank you. Like you are actually showing our listeners that gratitude is inner work it's it's labor it's discipline it's, it's not even that it's it's having the being able to look outwards and seeing what's around you right you know i i right. I, I joke around i joke about this with my mother-in-law but she's not she's she's my mom you know i call yeah, her I mom i don't call her like, at the kavana conference yeah she yeah she came to be with That's me beautiful. and and I'm, I'm so lucky because again i never had in-laws they know me since i'm 15 years old 
they are my ma and top. Like, I'm really, really lucky. But okay. I remember there was one point where she, I knew she was going through a hard time and she answered a message. I was like, oh, how are you? She's like, Baruch Hashem. I'm like, Baruch Hashem, what? Baruch Hashem, thank you, thank you, God. Thank you, God, what? Thank you, God, I'm having a terrible day. Thank you, God, I'm having a good day. Thank you, God, I have my eyes. Like, thank you, God, what? Baruch Hashem is not an answer. Baruch Hashem, what? Be more mindful of what you're saying Baruch Hashem to. Wow. And, you know, like, wow. It, it, it's, you're not saying, don't, it's not for me, it's for yourself. Mm-hmm. And like, it, you know, now we joke about it. It's like, you know, now it's like Baruch Hashem, like what? You know, it's, and we can have that, you know, and she knows right. she can't, she knows she can't answer Baruch Hashem anymore, you know, like. So, okay, n- next time I'll know, I'll, I'll try to be more cognizant of that, actually. You, re- you inspired me because yeah. I do say Baruch Hashem, just, it just slips off my tongue. Right. But like, why am I saying Baruch Hashem? Right. Thank God, you know, thank God the weather's so nice today. Thank God I have. I'm comfortable in my clothes right now. I just it's had just a like, coffee. It's, right. it's, it just it's, it's not even so hard to do. It's not even so. And I'll tell you one ah. more thing on this gratitude topic. Um, there was a point where um, I had, I've only learned about gratitude in Al-Anon and the oh, importance. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's the only place where I started learning about how important it is to express gratitude. And, um, and you know, today I could, like, you know, then I remember, like, you know, if I was going through a hard time, you know, my, like, my gratitude list would look like, I'm grateful that I can see and be present enough that I'm going through a hard time, and knowing that I need to pray to God to give me the strength and the courage to overcome, like, like, eat, like those little things, but um, there was a point where Mati and I would do this every single night, this was a work, like, this, we did, it, even when we were upset at each other, it's like, we were mad at each other, no matter what, we said three things good about our day. And we also had a rule. It can't be saying, oh, I'm so grateful for my wife or I'm so grateful for, for David, unless we had something specific to say, because those are just cop-out answers. Mm-hmm. I love and, that. And, and I don't need to be on it and neither did David and he didn't need to be on mine. You know, like, it's not like, you know, right. it needed to be specific. And what, what it was, was also an opportunity for us to, you know, every often in a marriage, you get home, it's at the end of the day, and it's like you're either venting about the hard day you had at work or anything like that. But I don't know what's actually going on in your mind and in your heart. So at the end of the day, when we got into bed, tell me three things good about your day, and we would do it. I had more insight into what, like, you know, oh, I had a really good deal at the office. What was it on? Which company was it with? What item was it on? You know, like, I want to know more about your life. So mm-hmm. we were able to see, and I do this with David. We talk, we, we express three things good about our day. And it's usually like in the beginning, it used to be like, oh, recess and playing kickball. And I'm like, no, 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 one recess talk. The rest of it has to be wow. other things. You know, like, but it trains him and it's trained him to see it. And For every sure. night we say, hold you la Hashem. Like we, we talk about it. Beautiful. So, I mean, we only have a few minutes left, but I do yeah. want you to talk about David. Um, he's such a wackadoodle. I love him. He's, I, <laughs> Can I know I, how I'm enamored with him. Yeah. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem for David. Yeah, he's um, really, he's, he's the reason for, and he's the reason why I started any of this. Yeah, so, for sure. So can you just, um, okay, I don't know how to phrase this question. So thank God that you have David, but at the same time, can you just tell us some of the challenges of being a single mother and how that affects you with dating? in the future and all of that if 
Okay. If you don't mind me asking you. Yeah, I mean, I'll share, you know, what I can come up with. Um, the challenges, um, you know, actually I did, on his birthday this year, um, I was in like a, milestones are very hard for me. Um, you know, cause it's, it's more obvious that, you know, Mutsi's not here or there's, you know, it's, it's just hard, you know? Um, yeah. So on his birthday, like I, I, I kind of just like had a, like a moment and I kind of broke down a bit and I just, and I said to him, I said, it's, I feel bad that I can't always give you the things that you want. Like he wants another child. He wants a sibling just as much as I would want another child, you know? And I shared this a little bit ago, I think on one of my grads was how he was like, he was comforting me. He's like, Hashem just needs to send you the person that you love and that they love you and they love us. And then like, you'll get married. Like, oh, thanks buddy. Like, thanks for the pep talk. I really needed it. But he's a weirdo like that. Like, that's how he talks to me. I don't know. He's in another world. I don't know what realm he's on. You know, he's, he's in. very mature. Can I know her? And that's really also just because I've always communicated that way with him, you know, and I, mm. I wish men that I've dated were as expressive and in tune with their emotions as he is, you know? Some woman's going to be very lucky one day, Mr. Shem. But, um, you know, the challenges, um, I'll tell you the initial challenge and what it's turned into today. And like, you yeah. know, for myself, yeah. when he would go to bed at night and it was just me in the four walls, it was extremely uncomfortable. The first year after Mutsi passed away, I had a babysitter almost every single night. I would put seven. How old was he? Seven was two and a half. Oh, okay. Seven was two and a half. And I... Put him to bed every night and I literally paid for a babysitter um every single night because I couldn't be home alone until I was ready to go to bed it was very scary for me it was very uncomfortable for me mm-hmm. and fortunately I had an amazing therapist and I love her to pieces she's so amazing and she actually came to the mic drop you know as a support and it was like the most amazing thing because wow. she really just gave me so much um I have so much of her to talk to her um but she, not she, basically, um, I had, I, I, I didn't have to, you don't have to do anything. I wanted to be comfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be comfortable to be at home. And I know I have people that have reached out to me that they've gone divorced or they're getting divorced. And one of their biggest fears is, you know, that nighttime being alone, not having someone in their bed. How do you do it, Steph? How do you do it, Steph? Um, Ironically, I used to watch a lot more TV when Mutsi was alive. I barely, it took me like three days to get through a 30 minute episode of The Office. I, I, I just don't have patience for it anymore. On the rare occasions, I'll binge on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, but like that's like once every two years. You know, like I don't have it in me to sit there and do that. But I used to watch a lot more. And after Mutsi died, I just wasn't interested because it was just like, it was just static. It was, right. it was like, you're not company to me, you know? And I really learned to eventually become comfortable in my own skin. Like, I love going to movies by myself. Wow. You go like, movies by yourself? Like, that's a little weird. I'm like, I love it. I love it. I love it. Wow. I'm comfortable going to a restaurant by myself. I wasn't always, I, I wasn't always like that, but I learned to be comfortable in my own skin. You know, whether I'm reading something or, you know, this, but I become okay with the four walls you know it's 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 not a scary place for me anymore yes there are the times in the years where the wave of grief come in but overall sorry i'm losing you hello i'm not like you know like what sorry i'm losing you yeah i hear you it's just um 
Oh, I, I hear you. It's just it kept freezing, like the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're good. <laughs> um, so that was that was one of the biggest challenges. But at the end of the day, it motivated me to realize what the problem, what the core problem is. The core problem, you know, was me being so unfamiliar with myself and you know relying, being so codependent on another person to make me feel comfortable and give me that security and you know at nighttime you know i have some really good comfortable pillows now that give yeah. me that security and that comfort you know wow. but um that was one of the biggest challenges um that turned into something greater for me um in terms of dating um i'm a package deal you know um <laughs> yeah. i i dated somebody who was you know great for me but didn't feel like they could connect as of it and there's right. nothing wrong with that you know it's not something they were comfortable with and then there was the complete opposite that I went, I'm like, okay, fine. I'll forget about me and make sure that David is okay. Mm. And that's not fair because that, that's not a healthy relationship to go into either. Right. You know, sure. so, you know, it's, and I, and I really do educate myself. I, I, I do read a lot. I, you know, I, I've dated people who were divorced, you know, who are divorced or um, have children. And, you know, I, I, there's a great book, The Smart Stepmom. Um, I don't know if you've ever read that. There's a lot of great information in there. Um, and it's really helped me in terms of, you know, getting into a relationship with the possibility that there may be, you know, kids over there. Um, and I read it only because when I dated that guy who was uncomfortable with COVID, I read the smart stepdad first. I wanted to know what he might be experiencing if it would develop into something bigger than that, ironically. Yeah. You know, so I read, I wanted to know what he could be experiencing and I wanted to be there as a support for him. Mm -hmm. little codependency but also you know but at the end of the day when you're marrying someone you are a team yeah. so like it's but knowing that balance of like when you're a team or when you're the one who's taking charge and you're the leader or vice versa or letting someone else do that and control your emotions and things like that so right. Right. That. and then when I was when I was open to dating somebody with kids I read the smart stepmom and um, it was really helpful. A lot of, you know, like a lot of, they, you know, they quote a lot of Tehillim, but they also quote a lot of like Matthews, take what you like and leave the rest, you know? Yeah. Great. So. Okay. I'll put that as a resource too. Mm -hmm. Wow. Stephanie, we can go on and on. <laughs> I know. Like there's you, your, your life has so much depth and variety and your stories, like you don't have just one story. You have like mm. 20 stories to share and each story has so much that everyone can learn from wherever they are in their lives, whether they're single, married, divorced. Loma have, yeah, you just, this interview was just fabulous on all levels. I learned so much from you. Um, wow. I just want to like get all in the zone and like really work on my Avodah Hashem and put Hashem more into my life, you know, not just with like the Sidur and the mitzvot that I do on like a robotic level, but really to infuse that spirituality that you were talking about in the beginning into my life. And I'm very, very positive that the people who are listening to your interview right now are definitely applying, going to be applying this. So I wanted to thank you again. Thank you. Um, can you I tell this. everybody where people can find you? Um, primarily Instagram. Yeah. Um, 
and my, what is it called a handle? I don't know. I'm yeah, the handle. Hand, the handle. Um, <laughs> like the little, like what is my, my mom's Israeli. She calls it a, a strudel, a strudel, the at sign. Um, I don't even know what she's talking about when she says it. Um, yeah. you know, at Stephanie Pollack, P-O-L-L-A-K. Um, there is no C. And um, I mean, I'm on Facebook, but not really. Like yeah. I don't really do much Like everybody it. else. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really like most of my stuff, like there's a whole life that I have on Instagram. Yeah. And like my family, my family's not on it. So it's like, oh, Steph, how can we only share memories on Facebook? I'm like, there's a whole, like, yeah. You my gratitude list, my lunchbox love notes, like all of those things are all on, you know, are all on Instagram. So yeah. Beautiful. I find it just easier to maneuver around also. For sure. For yeah. sure. Well, thank you again, Stephanie. Thank you. And also if anyone needs, you know, contact information, you know, they could always reach out yeah. to you and they could always reach out to me, you know, like. For sure. You know. The Al-Anon and the yeah. eating recovery yeah. addicts. Yes. All of that. Perfect. Oh, I'm so glad we did this. Thank you. Here. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review. That would mean so much to me. And I would love to hear your feedback about the show and how I can make this better for you. And if you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at Soul Train KK. Have a great day.